0: Hey, everybody. My name is Justin Murphy, and this is my podcast. It's called Other Life because it's where I talk about all the things I don't get to talk about in normal life. So if you're into it, you should definitely subscribe. And if you'd like to talk to other people interested in what I'm interested in or ask me questions or request future topics or guests, please just follow the link in the show notes. Finally, I just want to give a huge thanks to all the donors and patrons. I could not keep this podcast running without financial backers, so I'm very grateful. And I would just say that if you enjoy this podcast or my blog or my videos, please do consider signing up to give a little bit of money each month. It would really help me grow out this project, and it would mean a lot to me. So thanks a lot. Now, on to the podcast. Over and out. All right, let's do this. Let's get into the advertised main topic of the day. Before we are joined by Xeno Gothic in about 20 minutes, he's on call. He's in the waiting room. He's in the green room. He uh, requested a a very elaborate rider. I've got him uh, diet ginger ale, uh, macaroons, uh, bananas from South Africa. Very, very strange requests. But I had my people get it sorted. So he's chilling chilling in the other room. He'll come in when, when we're ready. All right. The ethics of shoplifting. So I went to confession on Saturday for the first time in 7 years I went to tell the priest all of my sins over the past 17 years and I sat down before I did that and I really tried to kind of uh go through my conscience and my and my my memory of all the things I've I've done badly over the past 17 years and I made a list um really trying to get it all out and there was one kind of dubious set of practices that I engage in regularly um and uh that that I wasn't sure about. And it's, it's, I regularly steal from, uh, self checkout kiosks. Uh, usually on average, I guess I would probably for the past few years, well, since they, they really became popular, I will, I will generally pay for about half of it on average, I would say. Um, so if I, if I buy, if I bring, you know, 25 pounds worth of, uh, food to the, to the checkout, I'll maybe, uh, pay for half of that and then not ring up the other half. And I've been doing this since, since those self checkout machines uh, came out as I suspect a lot of people do. I mean, I imagine uh, there's much more shoplifting from those self checkout kiosks, by the way, if it's not obvious, I think, you know what I have in mind right there, the electronic kind of robot uh, uh, cashiers that you, that you ring yourself, you ring yourself up at and you're supposed to pay for it all. Um, So yeah, I've been doing that for a while, and I thought about confessing it to the priest as stealing that I've been habitually engaged in for years now. Uh, but then I thought to myself, you know, I actually, I generally don't steal. I don't believe in stealing, for the most part. I've I, I, I I've never shoplifted, traditionally. Like, I would never put something in my bag when, when no one, like, in an old-fashioned store, like, just put something in my pocket or my bag. I've never really done that, maybe once or twice, as a, a free case when I was a kid. But I've never generally never done that Uh, and it's because I do kind of find it uh yeah unethical I guess I'm not judging anyone who does it but I've never done traditional shoplifting but I feel I have felt quite comfortable I think uh my conscience has felt relatively comfortable with shoplifting from self-checkout kiosks and so if I was going to not tell the priest this as a confession of my sin then I had to really kind of make the case to myself consciously uh if this is indeed something uh, that is that that should not count as as unethical or sinful, and so i I put some time and effort into really thinking this through, and I think I've come to uh an understanding of it that I think is not just a kind of self serving rationalization but which i'm I'm pretty convinced of anyway and maybe you guys can poke some holes in it i'm sure some of you uh will object to some things about it, but that's the case i'm going to make to you now so the way that I see it is um the best way to start is to to lay out why. For the most part, I don't engage in stealing from stores. Why I actually do think that that's unethical, and I'll, I think I'll just give a very simple, I think pretty conventional and and uh, intuitive um, baseline model for why stealing is actually uh, from a store in, in the normal traditional way uh, is wrong. So that I can then distinguish that from the um, from the case of of self checkout kiosks. So I would argue that, you know, one well, one thing that's interesting just to start about stealing from stores and the ethical problem it poses is, you know, when you go into a store, it usually doesn't say anywhere exactly that you have to like pay for the objects before you leave the store with, with them. Generally, it's just understood. Everyone understands that if you go into a store, you, you shouldn't leave unless you're unless you've paid for the objects that you're leaving with. But it's worth noting that that's not actually obvious. It's not written down anywhere. Um, that's that's what we would call a convention. And I would say in, in in the traditional case of brick and mortar stores with human cashiers, um, that is how things have been operating for hundreds, if not thousands of years. Um and we all more or less do have a very strong shared sense of obligation and expectation and and shared knowledge. It is a true and valid long-standing norm um that thou shalt not walk out of a store without paying for you know, the, an object in the store. You go up to the person who's the cashier and you pay them for it. That's, I would say, a sturdy and legitimate convention. And because of that convention, you actually do have an ethical obligation to, to meet that halfway. Um. So, uh, right. So why would self-checkout kiosks be significantly different? Um. Well, to me, the the formal way to think about it is that the, the conventions for self checkout kiosks are much less understood. Like, there is, it's unethical to do traditional stealing because you're breaking a well established norm and convention that's been around for a while. But if all of a sudden the corporations owning these stores put up these newfangled contraptions that uh, are, you know, quite opaque, uh, you know, their meaning is quite unclear, what exactly are the rules for these kiosks? Uh, is is quite unclear, and so because of that, it there the corporations are introducing into the conventions this kind of radical uh, uh, space of of non obvious intelligibility, and I would say that there are many legitimate uh, ways to interpret the appearance of this new uh, newfangled robotic cashier machine, and so you can just already start to think about uh, the implications. So, like for instance. Again, it's not written anywhere how to use them. Like you're just assumed. Of course, they're designed to be fairly intuitive. Um, but is it my obligation to, um, like, interpret th- such a newfangled addition to this, you know, conventional social contract? Like, maybe the way they work is you just walk up to it with the objects or commodities in your hands, and the self checkout machine just scans it automatically, like a kind of like an airport x-ray scanner like when you walk through that machine and they check you for objects maybe that's how it works i don't have any real reason to believe that's not how it works of course you know you can make inferences that it doesn't but all i know is i'm walking up to this strange machine that's just been that's just basically replaced five human workers uh and it doesn't have the directions attached to it so that that's just one uh one sort of inroad to to thinking about how what we're supposed to do with these machines is ethically much less clear than than some people might think um but you know you could you could keep going with this line of thinking because like okay maybe i make the correct inference that i'm supposed to scan my objects through here um i see other people doing it that's one reason why i might you know that's one way to interpret these machines and their processes um so what if i swipe my object through the self checkout machine and it doesn't it fails to register fails to, it fails to uh, register the price and and add it to my tab is that my fault or is that the machine's fault I mean of course you can say oh but Justin you should know you're supposed to you have to make sure the barcode lines up with the with the red uh light representing the scanner of course you know that justin so if you are not doing that then you're you know uh, selfishly you know uh, blinding yourself to what are you know the obvious expectations and rules of this social game um but it's not i don't and 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 that point goes somewhat far i i get that idea for sure um but okay what if i try to swipe with the barcode and i really do my best to run the barcode across the red light and it doesn't it doesn't click it doesn't register the price is it my obligation to do it again is it my obligation to do it again how many times uh, what if the machine breaks down or something like that? The machine is systematically not working. Do is it my obligation to like open it with a screwdriver and repair the machine before I leave the store with the with the commodities? With these kinds of thought thought experiments, you I think you can kind of see that what I'm getting at here is that when a corporation makes a massive and unnegotiated unilateral uh, uh, twist and disruption of a longstanding social contract. Then the co- the corporation itself is introducing the uh, wiggle room of 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 not obvious intelligibility, in which you know I think the corporation has its own you know self interested uh, interpretation of the situation that it wants to be normalized that it would like all of its customers to to intuitively presume to be the case, um, but I think that they're like because of technological complexity because the simple complexity of our you know, social and technological arrangements today, and, and they're increasing, uh, complexity, there is legitimate and bonafide, um, uh, debate and ambiguity about what things even mean. So for instance, I see these machines pop up and all of a sudden, like five cashiers who used to work there are no longer there. And there are now these machines there. Okay. I can make the inference. I'm supposed to pay for these objects by myself at these machines. Um, but, you know, uh, maybe, maybe it's quite reasonable to interpret it as since they're saving so much money from letting go of this, these labor costs from letting go of their human employees. Um, maybe the implicit idea is that I only have to pay for some of my commodities. Like maybe, like, honestly, and, and in all sincerity, like maybe you could reasonably interpret these kiosks as kind of pay what you wish machines. Like maybe this is the corporation telling me um I only have to pay what I want, you know, ring up the things you feel like paying for and don't ring up the things that you don't want to pay for. I think the corporation is empowering me to do that it doesn't say anywhere that that's not what the corporation is 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 instituting okay so um yeah that the, that's that's kind of one basis for for the the argument i want to i want to make, but that's not that's not the entire argument uh that that's kind of uh chipping away i guess at the what a lot of people might think is the obvious expectations or social, um, uh, yeah, expectations behind, uh, these kinds of newfangled technological solutions. Um, so, right. Um, what else did I want to say? Oh, so the other thing is that like, um, you could accuse me of bad faith here. Like you could accuse me of rationalizing, um, like Justin, you know, damn well that, um, you know, your, uh, totally breaking like a, a longstanding traditional social convention. You know that these, you know what you're supposed to do with these kiosks. You know what everyone thinks about these kiosks. Um, and you choosing to not pay the full price at these kiosks is you, you know, consciously just uh, stealing basically. But, you know, I don't know. Like, I I guess, I guess what I want to argue is that um, instituting those kiosks is is itself like a rather aggressive breach of the rules specifically also. And I haven't mentioned this yet, but I think this is a key point to to recognize is that, you know, these machines are literally putting new forms of labor onto me, you know, like it's never ever in thousands of years been the case that, or, I mean, maybe you could think of some counterexamples, but it's never been in the case that, that I've ever, I've ever known or that I've ever been socialized into um, that you're expected to go into a store and not just pay for the objects before leaving, but that you're also supposed to like do work for the store uh, that you're supposed to do labor for the store in in actually checking out those objects and actually, you know, carrying out that transaction. Like it is nowhere in social convention or, you know, norms uh, or reasonable expectations in, in any kind of social contract that a customer is supposed to do labor for the corporation in facilitating the transaction. So if the corporation wants to create a new machine that just, basically tries to impose this new term in the in the contract, in the implicit social contract that we have with them. I mean, it's welcome to try to do that. The corporation is welcome to try to kind of alter the social reality and it, you know, to make its own wagers about how behavior is going to respond. Like that's what these kiosks are. The the corporations are making calculated wagers about the costs and benefits of how people are going to interpret it. But the rules of that, the rules of these kiosks, they're not written anywhere. They're not clear at all. And not only are they not clear, but they actually do represent a rather aggressive and exploitative um, alteration of of the perceived, you know, uh, you know, a kind of uh, reality that that we're all kind of like trying to to construct in a somewhat competitive way uh, in, in in public spaces. So the way I see it is like if they're going to come out with what is a pretty bold addition or amendment to to the to the ethical you know basis of of exchange in 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 public stores, they're welcome to try to do that. Um and I think it works quite well for them. A lot of people just take it for granted that they should pay full price for everything. So, you know, their 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 manipulation of this social convention, I'm sure, is well calculated and working out for them. But I think that you know individuals such as myself and such as you or or whoever um, can very reasonably and in good faith uh, interpret the appearance of these machines in 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 a large number of different ways, uh, because the I guess the, the, one of the key points here is to see that the only thing that makes you know the stealing from a store clearly bad is because there's there's norms because there's conventions there's no explicit contract between the customer and 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 the store, ergo. Convention is the only basis for the ethics here is what I'm kind of trying to get at I think and so if corporations are going to do fundamental alterations to that contract through leveraging new forms of technology that uh, route around uh the need for you know the traditional human relationships that we that are the basis of our ethics, then I think that we are equally free to uh to interpret the the terms of that agreement uh creatively also um, and I would even go so far as to say that not only are we ethically, um, justified in, in choosing to pay what we want at self checkout kiosks. Um, but you could even argue that you're ethically obligated (laughs) to underpay at, uh, at, at self checkout kiosks. Um, I guess you could make a, a few different arguments in that direction. Um, you could see it as solidarity with the human beings who get fired, uh, for these, for these kiosks, you know, like The less profitable you make the kiosk system, the more solidarity you're, you know, uh, expressing or the, or not just in normative terms, but you know, the, the, the more you're going to, uh, uh, protect the tendency of, of hiring, of hiring humans. Uh, you're, you're basically chipping away at the ultra profitability of, of replacing humans with, with robots. I'm not really a Luddite like that. So I don't think too much about that, that line of argument, but that's one that is there that you might think about. Um. Uh, oh, another thing that <clears throat> I was thinking a lot about is that one reason why traditional stealing is wrong is because it's furtive, it's secretive. You, you, you If you put something in your bag without paying for it or you kind of slip it in your pocket, you're actively hiding what you're doing. And therefore, you know, that's a bit of data that suggests what you're doing is wrong. Uh, but with the self-checkout kiosks, another data point showing that it's perfectly ethical to underpay uh, or pay what you want at self-checkout kiosks is that you don't have to hide anything. Like you can just swipe the thing across the the barcode scanner and if it fails if it fails to to register, maybe the barcode is like 1 inch below where it should be, well, you you know, you're not hiding anything. You're you're doing it all in plain sight. Uh it's not, you know, if you choose to not be like extra diligent about making sure this process works exactly as the corporation wants instead of you know what uh is more reasonable to you then you're not hiding anything and i think that's a i think and i'm you know i think that that's a, actually a, an important uh piece of evidence for the idea that there's nothing ethically problematic about stealing from from self checkout kiosks cuz if you're doing it in plain sight uh what could really be that bad about it uh so that's just another little data point that i that leads me to think that uh you know i think what people would normally call stealing from self-checkout kiosks is not actually stealing, I think. All right, so uh, there might have been a few more um, points that I wanted to make, but uh, that more or less covers it. Sorry, I haven't been able to keep up with the chat, um, but I can maybe do that for a little bit. Well, actually, it's been very active, so thank you for all of your thoughts. But uh, in the interest of keeping, keeping things moving, I'll have to just read these thoughts later. I'm not going to be able to respond to all of them. Um, I'm sure there are some good counter-arguments or objections. Um, But, uh, oh, one other thing I would say before we bring in uh, Xenogothic is... uh, Or actually, maybe what we could do is... Could someone who is following the chat... um, Now that a bunch of people said a bunch of things... Could someone take it upon themselves to restate maybe one or two of the biggest objections or recurring questions or comments in the chat that I wasn't able to uh, keep up with. If you could restate a question or concern or objection that you think is especially good or important for me to think about, I would appreciate if you would uh, type it up again right now. That'd be cool. And then I'll, I'll try to respond to it. And maybe Xenogothic can talk about it with me too, if he feels like it. Um, yeah, the final thing I wanted to say, though, is, uh, well, two quick things. One is that, you know, the corporations, they do pretty sophisticated economic modeling of all of this stuff, right? So when, you know, before they decide to roll out, you know, self-checkout kiosks, they've already calculated, like, how much they're going to lose from uh, shoplifting. Like, they, you know, it doesn't take a genius to recognize that shoplifting is probably going to increase uh, from self-checkout kiosks. But they compare that, of course, to the massive labor costs that they save, and they decide, you know, okay, it's worth it. So again, that's another data point that really I think kind of uh, kind of feeds into the argument that stealing from these self checkout kiosks is actually quite consistent with the social norms, with the social expectations. Uh, it's expected by the corporation, even. Um, and yeah, I mean, if it turns out that people do that more than they thought well you know that's a new fact of of you know contemporary history unfolding but um it just means that you know the the norms are not what they thought they were exactly so yeah i guess the the one of the larger implications of everything i'm saying is that in contexts of rapidly changing technology norms are always moving so fast that what we do in our behaviors and how we you know, conduct our ethical reflections about our own behaviors are like part of the process of deciding what norms will become, what norms will be. You know, and so my view is like, if te- if corporations are rapidly, um, uh, rapidly and constantly disrupting the conventional bases of our ethical obligations to each other, then we should also kind of accelerate. Our willingness to reframe creatively uh, ethical questions and and the ethical you know uh, qualities of our of our behaviors um, in an equally you know constant and 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 radical and creative way and so I think like seeing self checkout kiosks as a kind of uh, donate what you wish machine <laughs> is you know it's I see that it's it's perhaps somewhat uh, creative but. I don't think it's unreasonable at all. I think it's like in many ways uh, more than, uh, more than enough has enough has more than enough kind of a uh, basis. I think to be like a, a, at least a very reasonable, at least one among other reasonable interpretations of, of, of like what, what is ethical conduct around this new type of technology. I think I'll wrap it up there and I'm perfectly on time. So it's seven thirty now. now. Um, so let's see if there were any, uh, any main comments people wanted to make? Um, so, Strawberry Letter says, oh no, okay, Strawberry Letter is responding to Meta Nomad. Uh, so, okay, Meta Nomad says, you say if an item didn't scan, it's okay to steal it. But there's multiple points that will stop you stealing that item the scales, the worker, and the door scanner. You're still justifying stealing. Maybe. Um, I mean, in my experience with these self-checkout kiosks, you you just no one's looking at anything and no one really cares. Like the whole point of these self-checkout kiosks is that humans don't have to really do that much to to monitor and the whole store is run by like two people who are actually present. Um so in my experience, ethical of taking from shop from self-checkout kiosks that I have in mind is like, I'll ring like half of the items. And then the other half of the items, I'll just like hold in my hand, or I'll set on the floor, like off the scales. But again, I'm not hiding any of this. Um, maybe that's not how I'm supposed to do it. But I just take like half of the items, and I either pass them across the barcode scanner, where I know that they're not going to scan um, in a kind of simulation of of scanning them. Uh, or I just set them on the ground without even scanning them. Uh, now, I mean, I get your point is well taken that I'm kind of doing some behaviors that to, to kind of blend in and, and look like I'm do like, and make it kind of look like I'm paying for everything. Um, I'm certainly not like screaming out loud. I'm not paying for this. Um, so I get what you're saying, but I don't know. I don't know. Um, I'm not sure. I think there's a different, there's a difference between going out of your way to hide something like sticking, uh you know, a a lipstick in your, in your purse, sorry, that's gendered. That's like a very stereotypical, sorry. Um, Like there's a difference between sticking lipstick in your purse when no one's looking and you're kind of like looking to make sure there are no cameras in the corner and making sure no one's seeing you and then running out the door. Um, That, that, that betrays a conscience of unethical conduct. Um, But when I take things or underpay for things at the self checkout kiosk, I'm not looking over my shoulder. I'm not like trying to escape anyone's sight. I'm not trying to um, like really systematically misrepresent what I'm doing or get away with anything. I'm doing things maybe in a in a thoughtful and strategic way. Um, I admit, but yeah, I don't know. Maybe I have to think about it more. I my sense is that if you're doing it more or less openly and you're not really trying to quote unquote get away with anything, then you're not really breaking like how how much could you really be breaking some sort of rule if you're doing it more or less plain sight? But we can think more about that. I might be wrong. Nothing says I really think those arguments would be laughed out of court by any judge. Um, Maybe. (laughs) Well, there's only one way to find out. Well, I mean, actually, after giving this uh, live stream right now, I'll probably get arrested at my local (laughs) grocery store. Um, So then maybe I'd have an epic opportunity to make these cases before, before a judge in a highly sensationalized uh, media event. That'd be interesting. Um, Well, I mean, I think you could imagine actually some sort of like big kind of like political theater court trial where you make the kinds of arguments I'm making now uh, as a way to kind of have an interesting and somewhat spectacular Kind of event and 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 controversy and public, you know, discussion opportunity around yeah, basically machines and robots and artificial intelligence and all of that uh, and the ethical obligations. I mean, look, basically, what my intuition boils down to is like if technological acceleration means that corporations are increasingly freeing themselves from all ethical expectations that were rooted in you know uh, human you know traditional human societies, then you're fucking stupid if you think that. I as a human am going to carry on with the same ethical code that you know traditional humans uh, have 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 kind of handed down generation after generation. Like no, if you know, I think I think we also are not only justified in, but also somewhat even obligated to uh, kind of accelerate our own ethical creativity uh, to participate in in uh, these like rapidly changing norm disruptions. Okay, I don't want to keep uh, Xenogothic waiting too long. So, uh, sorry I didn't get to answer all of your interesting questions. There's a lot of cool, fascinating thoughts and comments and questions in the chat. So, um, I'll try to read them uh, later. But for now, let's bring in uh, Xenogothic. I'm going to drop him the link. And he should be joining us at his convenience any minute now. But uh, yeah, I hope I convinced some of you to start uh, decreasing the payment you give to <laughs> uh, uh, self-checkout kiosks. Um, but yeah, so that's why I didn't tell my priest about this, and why I don't think it it counts as stealing. But I will, I I will keep thinking about it. I mean, I could be wrong. I tried to make it. I tried to make the best case that I could uh, just now, and kind of laying out my intuitions about why why I think that's not stealing, but it's not, it's definitely not a, not a, not a sealed, not a sealed argument. Um, I definitely, I definitely could be wrong. Abby Jones, Walter, Abby Jones, Walters, you're in my stream. Go shoplift some pizza for dinner. Uh, the person I'm staying with at this house in, uh, Cornwall just commented telling me to go shoplift pizza. Very funny, Abby. Um, Abby, you know, if you wanted to, you could like walk in here and, and join this if you wanted, if you if you wanted to. We got 29 viewers up in the house. It's pretty good. I'm happy to say that this stream is is growing. It seems like every time I do this, a few extra people are joined, so that's fun. By the way, I got an update just now from Zeno Gothic. He's in the green room. He's like he's had a little bit too much to drink. I think. Uh, the, like I said, I you know his uh his request list of uh, what's it called? The, uh, the fuck I'm losing the word when you're like abandoned, you, you get to like request things. Um, I think he's, I think he's drunk basically. I think he's drunk off his ass. Um, but he said he has to install a plugin. Sounds like he's just, just trying to buy time. Well, we'll, we'll, um, interrogate him when he joins us. Anyway. Um, well, all right. So this will give me some time to, uh, Some time to check in the comments here. Tac Blah, you just subbed. Thank you very much. People, subscribe now so you can watch my later streams when they come out. Damon, Damon Maché, Property is Theft. Yep, there's definitely a kind of anarchist, uh, I think, uh, worldview, obviously, kind of behind the arguments I was making. Um, Jan asks, or Jan, perhaps it's pronounced, asks, would stealing be your encouragement for stores to massively increase their security? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I, I definitely think you can imagine uh, kind of increasing arms races between like strategic uh, human beings trying to game these systems and uh, corporations trying to uh, institute like better and better AI that will, you know, reduce their nest, necess- their need for labor costs. Actually, I think, I think Ikea, I have this hypothesis I don't have much support for this, but it is a hypothesis. I've noticed that recently Ikea, um, has, uh, they put, they put like labels up at their self checkout kiosks saying like, reminder, you are being watched and we will prosecute to the full extent of the law. Um, and I'm pretty sure my hypothesis is that Ikea is, you know, they probably take a massive hit from shoplifters. Um, and as a countermeasure, to try to reduce shoplifting, which they can't really enforce. They've, uh, they've put these reminders up and I bet you psychologically, like a little reminder, just putting one piece of paper up up at the checkout saying you're being watched. I bet you that is very effective on average, um, in, in stopping people from shoplifting. I admit it, it stops me. It stops me not totally, but it makes me much more scared too. Uh, And it probably decreases the amount that I'm, uh, I'm likely to steal from well no it's not stealing as i just said it's 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 uh it's not stealing so we need to stop using this word we need a campaign to destigmatize taking from uh self checkout kiosks people who call it stealing should be shamed as apologists for the corporations um but yeah the 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 question was is this going to increase security probably i mean i bet you uh before you know it uh the store all self checkout all self checkout kiosks, no human employees anywhere in the store. But the self checkout kiosks are just way more effective, uh, and the security apparatus is way more effective. So you can't really get away with stealing. I'm sure that'll that's probably going to be the next like plateau that we of of equilibrium that we we reach between kind of this this ongoing competition between humans and and the robotic checkout apparatuses. So I mean, realistically, probably I bet you that this video I'm making right now will have very limited um you know, it'll only be relevant for a limited time only. <laughs> you know, I think uh sooner or later we might look back at this video and this moment where we can all get away with a lot of uh, you know, taking things from self-checkout kiosks. We'll look back on this period as like those wild, wild days before all stores were like fully sealed. Uh AI enforced lock boxes. Um, We'll look back at this time as when you could still get away with these sorts of things before AI got really good or something like that. Maybe Um, Ed Berger. What's up, buddy. Ed says stealing from self checkout kiosks is undermining price making anti oligopoly action. Yeah, definitely. I, I completely agree with that. That was an argument I made before, I think more or less, but you put it more concisely as always. Ed. Thanks, dude. Um, You'll be looking back at it from inside a jail cell. Yo, Xenogothic, what's up, dude? Hey, how's it going? Oh, wait, hang on. I can't hear you. One sec. I got to uh, change my voice settings. Hang on. Um, one second. I wasn't sure if you were going to dox yourself or not. <laughs>
1: yeah, I just to, do. Uh, um, go all in.
0: I need to. Sorry, my... Uh... Can you hear me, Xenogoth?
1: Yeah. Can you hear me? Can you hear
0: me? Yeah, I can now. I had oh, uh, oh. headphones in before. I wasn't sure if you were going to dox yourself or not.
1: Yeah, I was yeah, I and uh, yeah, why not?
0: Have you? <laughs> ha- has your face ever been associated with your
1: like, internet Uh, not
0: this one. No, this is the first.
1: <laughs> wow,
0: I'm, I'm I'm flattered to be the the, the pretext for that.
1: Well, I felt like if it was just, uh, avatar pulsating, that wouldn't be so fun. So, um, take one for the team.
0: Awesome, dude. Awesome. Um, I need, I, what I need to do actually, is I need to get my headphones, um, okay. or the sound is going to be strange, but I'm, I'm in the room. I'm listening. Uh, I'm just going to step away for a second. Can you, can you entertain our guests by maybe just telling them very briefly, uh, like a little bit about yourself in whatever terms you want to, like however you want to describe, like, Like maybe talk about like what you write about and what you're interested in mostly. Like what's your, what's your, what's your shtick, you know?
1: So go for
0: it. Uh,
1: well, if I'm doxing myself, I'll just, I'll introduce myself as Matt. I need to get the room open actually, so I can actually see the comments. Uh,
0: but yeah. Hi. Yeah. You can, you can open up the chat if you want. You can, if you do like in the right corner, if you go to the YouTube page and then you, you click the chat, you can do like pop out chat. I find that's easier.
1: Yeah, I um, had a whole nightmare with... I was in one browser and then it wouldn't allow me to accept... Uh, I had a nightmare. So now I've changed browsers. So my, my I was all set up and now I've had to redo everything. But yeah, I gonna, no
0: worries. There's no rush. Uh, we're there, it. though. We're there. So, uh, yeah, so go on. Cool.
1: Um, what do I write about? Uh, I guess I have a blog under the name Xenogothic. I write about... Politics, philosophy, cave uh, Twitter, shit. Um, I think patchwork is what I've become most known for, which was unexpected. But uh, there's a lot of good discussions that have gone around, around that in recent months. So I'm down for it. Um, I was actually, when we were you we were chatting before about the, uh, the issue with the self-service checkouts, there was a comment from uh, Matt and Nomads in the chat, which I liked. He was talking about those um, the the, uh, the kiosks. They they're saving you time and saving the store time, so you owe the store time. And I'm not sure about the implications of that in practice. But I always and then yeah, and then you were saying about the ethics based on convention, but it seems like a kind of ad hoc ethics because I always think of at least here in the UK, in Tesco, uh, when you approach those kiosks, they always say, uh, please scan your first item or have a browse. And I've never seen anyone use them to have a browse. <laughs> but, but that would be, I think, a great way to uh, spend some time in the store as a sort of protest, I think, because I, I, I kind of steal things from... I steal things that aren't barcoded, like... Uh, maybe some vegetables or some pastries. Um, never anything bigger than that. Uh, but I never feel guilty about that because it's usually the only shops that I can think of that have those kiosks are kind of like massively monopolizing uh, stores.
0: Definitely.
1: So I don't feel so bad about stealing their fruit and veg and bakery stuff. And I also wouldn't feel bad about wasting their time and using. <laughs> using the self checkout just to browse their wares.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, what what's your first name again? Did you say that, or are you not saying that? Yeah, Matt. Okay, yeah, that's right. I thought that's what it was. Um, Cal Cahoon, or how do you pronounce your last name? Uh, it's Cahoon. Cahoon, you say?
1: Yeah.
0: Cool. And uh, so, remind me. I, you might have said this before when I was getting my headphones, but um, you are you at? Are you a master student, or is that right?
1: I was. I was. I'm um, a exact almost exactly a year out of there now. Yeah, I was a master's student at Goldsmiths.
0: Right. Okay, cool. Um, And are you still living in London or what? Yes. Yeah. uh,
1: I actually, uh, despite no longer being a student there, I live around the corner from Goldsmiths now. I live the closest I've ever lived to the campus. And yeah, I don't even go there anymore. Um, Just kind of hovering around in, uh, yeah, southeast London. Okay. I've been here about two years now.
0: Okay, cool. Cool. Um, And you you, you were close to Mark Fisher, yeah?
1: Well, I mean, <laughs> t- t- well, I couldn't say close, really, because I, I started, I started, got, I, I, st- I became a master's student at Goldsmiths The year Mark died, so I kind of only knew him for like three months. okay. Um, but I kind of went there for his course, uh, for co-direction's course, um, and, yeah, uh, it was a, yeah, that's a weird,
0: weird time. Yeah. So you, okay, so you weren't clo- too close with him personally but you 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 know his work well
1: oh for sure yeah and definitely more so after the fact I think it was uh yeah getting to know Mark's work was I think a part of how I dealt with that whole situation really so
0: right right cool so what are you um what are, what are you working on right at the moment like um what's your main kind of intellectual fascination I guess maybe we could start with
1: sure um Well, I think a lot of it has just been what's been going on on the blog in the past sort of nine months. I think I started off this year, I posted a long post about Mark and the whole situation happened last year, talking about his thought, and that kind of segued into talking about Nick Land and Patchwork, and especially talking about Mark and Nick's relationship and how their thought relates to each other. Mm. Um, And now at the moment, as I kind of stopped writing Patchwork posts quite so specifically, I end up I think there's so people have so much so many questions about what that is all about um that I kind of keep feeling like I'm repeating myself or having to point back to a blog so at the moment i am trying to bring a lot of the blog posts together that I've been writing the past nine months into something i don't know if it's a book or whatever else, but something cohesive that can actually be like a actual statement on this stuff that's a bit more concrete than uh Blog chats and Twitter threads as great as they are.
0: Yeah, for sure, definitely. That's awesome. Uh, I definitely encourage you to to do that. Put that together and make a book out of it. Um, so, okay, then let's talk about that. Then, uh, how how what is? Tell us about your view of the because I've talked about this with Yuri before in a podcast, and I've written a little bit about this, or at least I've thought about it. Uh, I would love to hear your elevator pitch for like how does how does like the left wing patchwork work?
1: Sure. So, um... think this is where i get caught out and where i'm getting increasingly caught out at the moment is that i don't really know how it would work Um, right
0: actually actually you know what real quick i think i think a fair number of my listeners and viewers are actually not like from the political wings so let me real quick i'll just say for those of you who are listening who uh maybe have never heard of this stuff before just very quickly patchwork patchwork Uh is a buzzword that's associated with uh neo-reactionary thought it's generally seen as a kind of uh right right-wing libertarian type of uh, political idea and political model. And it, patchwork basically just refers to, it's associated mostly with mold bug. Um, and it's basically the idea of a large number of small uh, sovereign corporations, basically it refers to uh, governments that are essentially corporations that own territories and have complete and absolute kind of authoritarian control over everything that goes on in the territories that they own. So, um, the the patchwork vision as it's articulated in the kind of neo-reactionary mold imagines basically a large number of small more or less authoritarian uh, corporations uh but that the idea is that these would because of the competition uh and because of the good govern the incentives for good governance uh that this would be preferable to to what we currently have which is like a poorly managed uh so- sovereign corporation is is how they see it so uh people like um you, Matt, and me, and also Yuri to some degree. I think actually a lot of people in like the cave Twitter orbit are interested in things like patchwork, but not necessarily, I, I wouldn't pigeon them whole as like as leftists necessarily, but a lot of us, I think, are interested in patchwork from uh, more of a relatively more of a left wing perspective than like someone like Moldbug. So that's just a little bit of background for any of the listeners who like aren't coming to me from like the political angles. So sorry to interrupt, but maybe you could carry on then saying like how you see that or how that might work or what you think about that.
1: Yeah, you know, that's great. Um, I feel like, well, you mentioned Yuri. there's also Ed, I think. And I think that yeah. a lot of these discussions that, um, Moldbug's vision of patchwork being, um, yeah, as you, as you said, these kind of, uh, these sovereign microstates, um, uh, and how they kind of function together, kind of changing up the logistics and the dynamics of that. Um, that's not my strong point. That's usually why you end up falling over. But I think the way that I see it, particularly from the left, uh, or even well, even more generally, I think it's the fact that what Mulberg and others have described is sort of their ideal of a much larger system. Um, and if, at least coming from Mark Fisher's work, if, Mark's, if Mark was talking about looking for alternatives and asking the question is there no alternative here is a system that seems to run on alternatives but it's, it, it kind of encourages uh, that sort of fragmenting um, other kinds of other kinds of thinking other kinds of politics, other kinds of living and as much as it's very easy I think maybe to derive Malburg and a lot of the more economic stuff in terms of at least for me goes way over my head but there's something attractive about that that he is describing his ideal um, but it's an idea that has so many more potentials seemingly infinite potentials and I feel like my interest is trying to figure out what other kinds of existence could be a part of that that's beyond, well, beyond these other kind of ideals Like, I think you have stuff like seasteading as, like, seeing as this real-world example of how this could look and how this could take shape that I don't really have a lot of faith in because it seems to be sort of randy in economics and sort of um, successionism under a different name. But then you have these other movements around the world that are arguing for um, their own kind of fragmentation, their own kind of exit from a wider structure for politics that are even maybe globally progressive or progressive for their certain demographic, uh, liberatory from wider systems. And I guess it's figuring out in what kind of way all of those ideas could come together. Not even come together, um, come together apart in a way. Um, What space is there for these other ideas? And does it not make sense to push those ideas and see what possibilities there are? for you know not cauterize this thing because it's mold books see what else is
0: it yeah for sure i agree with that um do you get a lot of because you if you're coming out of goldsmiths and you are in london i imagine your your sociological milieu is fairly left-leaning is that fair to say yeah yeah totally do you have a hard do you have a hard time talking about things like patchwork
1: uh i used to i don't think i don't not so much anymore i've had a lot of Drunken conversations in the pub. Um, I think the first person that planted the idea at Gosman's was Amy Island. Um, she did a she did a lecture uh, last year as part of Cojo Essence class, um, where she was talking about kind of taking off from Vince Garton's uh, Leviathan Rocks essay, um, talking about how patchwork is inherently an anti-fascist system, and that just seemed to plant the seed for a lot of people um, in figuring out what that looks like, what is that, 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 her framing it that way, at the time, was antithetical to what most people understood about that concept, as it's been pushed by land in Melbourne. Um, so it, yeah, it just planted a seed that ended up having people discuss this in more detail, what ways that could work um, for other ideas and demographics that would be discussed in that time. So especially in Kurdish class, talking a lot about the Middle East, about you know, African politics, um, black studies um, seeing what potential this idea could have for those things
0: um, oh hey we're getting some uh, feedback on your end I think sure I don't know if it's your headphones or your mic or uh, maybe you could uh, tinker with something but someone someone actually mentioned it in the chat a little bit ago it wasn't that bad but it just, it just kind of got bad I think
1: uh, I don't have a proper mic it might be Oh, I can
0: actually hear it. That's so bizarre. Yeah, maybe just tinker with that Do your best. It's not that big a deal, but try to fix it if you can. I turn my mic down a little bit. Is that better? Alice, Alice, is that pronounced famer or farmer? I never know. Uh, What's up? In my mind, I thought it was farmer, but that's because I just look at too much stuff on the internet. Um, Alice says you can make a noise album with your feedback. I think um, I actually couldn't hear because my headphones are on.
1: It's so hot here at the moment that I think it's my laptop fan is going insane. So I'm going to open a window
0: <laughs> and see if it cools down. Do your thing, man. Yeah, it's horrible. I went to Cornwall largely for that reason. I'm lucky that I have friends who uh, live outside of the the normal south central of England. because it's, it's The thing is, what people don't understand, I see a lot of people on the internet making fun of like British people complaining about the heat. But what, <laughs> what people don't understand is uh it's not the heat so much it's that there's no air conditioning anywhere like i've lived in cities that are much hotter that have much hotter summers than south england but there's air conditioning like in the us there's air conditioning everywhere so when it gets to fucking 90 degrees in south of england it's it's actually a really problem because there's no air con- there's almost no air conditioning anywhere cuz it doesn't get that hot um uh, so yeah it's, it's bullshit
1: yeah i live in a i i live in quite a nice flat here um it's like it's, a, it's the cheapest place I've lived in this city and it's got these huge floor to wall ceilings. It's just like this big block of flats, but they are like a greenhouse if on a morning. Like it's, there's no, the air, the air con is you open the fucking windows and it's horrendous.
0: Well, the good news is I think you solved your
1: feedback problem. Okay, cool. It's clearer now. Um, yeah, my fans calming down.
0: <laughs> cool. So why don't we get back on that? By the way, shout Cool. Shout out to Amy Ireland. What's up, Amy? I, I don't know if she's there. I'm saying you mentioned her. So, uh, very cool, Amy. Very cool, Amy. Breaking down barriers at Goldsmith. <laughs> Amy Ireland making it acceptable to talk about patchwork. Very good. Very good. Um, so, I mean, I've talked about this with Yuri a little bit recently in a podcast that we did. And I've been talking, I guess I have been talking about it with other people too. Um, I like to think about, and I just wonder if you've ever thought about this, like um, like how I think like a, a communist patch would be like a better patch, basically. What I what I like about the idea of patchwork is it sort of forces different political model, different political ideologies and different political models to kind of put their money where their mouth is. And it's like you can either it's like if you you either engineer it to work or if you can't engineer it to work, then it doesn't get to exist. And I really, really appreciate that, that um, that thrust of, of patchwork. So, I mean, have you thought about that? Because like I suspect like for someone like you who's like interested in Mark Fisher, like that you Mark Fisher being kind of like a common point between you and I if I can assume anything from that, like, I think Mark was like a hundred percent into the, into this idea that like um, these are my words, obviously, but that like, if, if like communism is correct, then it should give us traction. It should give us um, insights to build societies and communities that are like functionally superior. And I, I, to this day, I still really do think that I, I think that like capitalism is really good at generating, um, like social, like productivity, like economic productivity at large scales across vast distances. It's like on, hands down the best, you know, tech, social technology we've ever chanced upon for for generating like large amounts of coordinated, you know, productive activity and wealth and, and, and things like this. Um, but it does that at the cost of like significantly, um, like of a, 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 a significantly inaccurate kind of like model of what human beings are. Like it forces human beings to uh, think and speak and act and live in molds that are like highly inconsistent with what they actually are as as creatures, as beings, as organisms. And I've I've always thought since the first day that I got really interested in like fundamentally radical, like anti-capitalist ideas is that like the whole idea of communism is that we would creatively figure out a way to craft organizations and institutions that are more correctly and empirically aligned with like what we are, what, with the truth of what we are. Um, and so I think that's, that, that is very consistent that with the idea of patchwork, if there's, if that's how you see communism, then patchwork should be an exciting challenge and opportunity because it's like, okay, yeah, let's all split. Let's all exit. Let's all fragment. Uh, and let's engineer communism, which is, we believe, uh, a truer expression of like human community. And if it turns out that we can't engineer that, then I'm open to accepting that that means communism is wrong. Um, but I think you could. Do you think you could? And do you have anything like to, to add or any thoughts you have on that?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I I basically agree with every word you just said. Um, I think, particularly the point about um, these kind of authentic human—maybe you're saying it's the wrong word—but these quite these real um, communities that reflect human nature but kind of without any romanticism or whatever else, I think that the part that kind of got me onto this in a way via Mark was um, brilliant. Uh, one of my favourite things to research, or at least last year, was the conversations that went on between uh, Maurice Blanchot and Jean Nancy about Georges Bataille. And Bataille talking about, um, in his essay, The Labyrinth, he, he kind of talks about human nature as um, being founded on a principle of insufficiency. Um, so it's the, the kind of his whole, um, in terms of like communication for him, sort of being related to Christianity uh, with communion or all those different con words. Um, it's, it's kind of founded on that basis of evil where we end up having conversations almost almost like there's, a, there's an assumption that, you don't know as much as I do, or you don't know this as much as I do, and there's always that kind of that, that, that kind of interaction that is inherent to communication. To you, you can't talk about something if you don't, if without some sort of disagreement. Maybe there has to be some sort of spark. Um, and I think if you scale that upwards to something like patchwork, and if you're talking about city states um, and how those city states might communicate, or um relate to each other with that spark can go from being a, a certain level that we have now nation states that spark can be explosive and quite horrible scale it down and i wonder if that spark can't be far more productive um and yeah asking you to put your money where your mouth is Of, um i think again building on that from mark's point of view um I think uh, uh, I wrote an essay recently about his acid communism. Um, It's not, it hasn't come out yet. I wrote it six months ago and it's kind of in Edith's limbo. Um, But uh, taking it from Deleuze and Deleuze writing about communism and he talks about, or desire even, he talks about desire, revolutionary desire is always seeking new connections and that being kind of his basis for communism. And when I end up thinking about patchwork, and especially if you have Nick Land's sort of framing of it being uh, low integration, high connectivity, I feel like that that there is there is there's an explicit um, there's like an explicit reference there almost to this that that, um, that radical sense of connection of it being desire, revolutionary desire for. I don't know, that change for something else. I think and I think I was kind of thinking about it in what you were saying in your last hangout, where you're talking about, oh, it was a different hangout. I went back to one of your old videos, and I think you're talking to a friend of yours in the States talking about how you thought that marriage was like a really radical um political uh like statement of way of existing. And I feel like that it's it, that's that's kind of you can. That's kind of like what Blanchard talks about where he talks about the community of lovers or something, where you, you, you have this really intense relationship that is full of desire and all sorts of things, but it's never it's kind of built on sparks, on friction. And acknowledging that and accepting that and making that the foundation for a community, I don't know, patchwork is kind of a way of trying to scale that up or something.
0: Right, right. So I'm just curious, are you like involved in political stuff at all?
1: Uh, no, not really. I kind of thought I would be when I moved here, but it hasn't quite happened. I've never lived anywhere that's been quite as politically active as London, and I've never quite got into any scenes or anything. I always lived in small towns where there's not a lot going on.
0: Right. Well, uh, I mean, it might be because you write interestingly and creatively on the internet. Like that's kind of mutually exclusive with a lot of like actual organized political groups. But I mean, if you find one that. Well, if you find one that's not, that's cool. Uh, d- let me know about it. Um, so, um, what was I going to say there? There was something. There was something I wanted to ask you. Uh, that was a whole like offload there. <laughs> Sorry. What's that? That was a whole like brain dump there. Oh no, that's fine. That's what this is for. It's YouTube. All good. Anything you want to? Anything you want to dump out? Dump out, man. Um, where are you from originally? What part of the country? I'm from Hull originally. Oh, okay. Cool. Is that where all your family is now? Uh, no, they kind of split up. They're all Northeast anyway. Word. Yeah. Word. Um, oh, it is Farmer, Alice Farmer. I knew it was Alice Farmer. Uh, she changed her, the, the spelling in the, in the chat. Okay. Hey Alice. But I'm not crazy. We got Alice in the house. We got Ed in the house. I don't see any other cave Twitter people, but, uh, that's cool. Um, right. So have you read the whole manuscript of the acid communism book by Mark Fisher?
1: No, just that I don't think it exists. I think there's just an introduction. Um Oh, okay. I think he it's and it's an unfinished introduction. I think he sent it around to um people just for general proofreading. Um but yeah, it kind of went around a bit well, after he died. Um it's great. It's really great. And it's definitely I think it's I'm pretty sure it's coming out in the Repeater anthology, um, which I'm excited for. It's a it's a
0: really nice text. Uh d- d- just the introduction you said. Yeah. Right, but is there? There's a larger manuscript in existence. Is there? No? I, I don't know. Um,
1: I'm not sure. I've I've not heard anything. Um, I, I think I heard murmurings a while ago, and maybe there's things on hard drives and stuff. But I don't know if anyone has access to that or what. But the only thing that's kind of been floating around is just like an introduction.
0: Right. Right. Um, cool. Just curious uh let's see axon says that land argues patchwork is metapolitical encouraging to try communist microstates but their ultimately right-wing conclusion is only neocameralism survives yeah i know that's what that's what they think but um okay here's another way to put my argument though that i've been thinking about which is um and also meta nomad says justin a communist patch would fail due to competition um moldbug and land both bring this up Right, so thank you, folks, for, for you know uh, giving the the kind of neo reactionary objection, uh, and I, those are all powerful arguments. I think they need to be taken seriously. But I think what I would say is that, or another way to put what I was saying, that I think might be more sensible to people coming from a neo reactionary perspective is that the success. Let's say a neocameral patch was successful. Let's say the the long run equilibrium of patchwork is is convergence towards. A kind of neo like it'd be like Singapore or something like this. The, this kind of model, um, I think it would have more communistic components than people are willing to to um, recognize. Like I think often about like the uh, the old like aristocratic noblesse oblige. You know, like a truly authoritarian political models often have gen- like serious communistic redistributive aspects. Um. So one wager is that, like the the successful patch or like the long run equilibrium patch or whatever you want to call it, like the the tendency of of the that that patchwork would produce, it might be kind of authoritarian, neocameral type of state, uh, or soft court, but it might also be really redistributive. It might have it might have like generous guarantees, uh, for the dignity, uh, of all people, because. That, I mean that that's not inconsistent with like authoritarianism. Um, it might just do it in a more rational way. So like you could argue that like our current societies like we could have things like generous basic income, we could have all types of protections and communistic kind of like guarantees uh, for like social welfare um, that that might actually make the entire political unit more cohesive, more competitive, happier, healthier, et cetera. Um, but we don't have them in large part because of engineering, like trust issues. You know, it's hard It's hard to make credible commitments. It's hard to, uh, you know, organize certain types of, you know, redistributive schemes. These things are like super complicated to do in a centralized way. Um, but it's not at all inconceivable that, in other words, what I'm getting at is maybe neo-reactionaries are right in their like authoritarian political predictions for for like the successful patch but maybe communists are also also right like maybe maybe there's a weird convergence that we don't yet know about there's some solution in the in the multidimensional space that we haven't been able to find the workable consistency for but that's just simply because we haven't had like several thousands of competing patches in this like highly dynamic technologically supercharged uh like system that 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 patchwork seems to to uh represent so so yeah i I, one way you could put you put it is like i is that i think like a communist patch would win or could win potentially but another way to think about it is just that even what the neo-reactionaries think would would happen would be way more communist than anyone realizes just a thought um Nomad says Uh, what where is it? Not that I'm inherently averse to a commie patchwork. I mean, that's the whole point of patchwork. The problem is that each patch is definition of success. Um, is there any success other than survival? Well, there is there is success other than survival because, like, survival, survival is not actually the criteria, it's survival plus it's survival plus it's survival plus whatever whatever other resources and traits and states tend to increase the probability of survival. So it's like, like, uh, so for instance, like I'm reading right now, I'm reading this book by uh, Antonio Damasio about uh, Spinoza. uh, He's a neurobiologist. uh, It's basically, uh, shoot, I'm forgetting the title. It's something about Spinoza, but uh, it's basically all about how like Spinoza was right. How his, how Spinoza's model was, is like very consistent with what we now know about neurobiology, surprisingly consistent with it. uh, Very prescient in that regard. And one of the things he talks about is like he talks about uh Spinoza's conat this concept of the conatus that like living organisms uh have an inherent drive uh to to live to survive but also to kind of flourish you know uh it's something it's n- it's not just survival it's it's something like to constantly um you know uh, a, a kind of constant tendency to to not just survive but what Damasio calls like he says that we have like our our emotional states as as human beings uh orient us towards not just like regulation of the life processes but like survival with well-being. He uses this term survival with well-being because the well-being part like it, that might you could say like the people in the chat are kind of saying like uh survival sounds like it's just like that's going to select for just like the absolute bare minimum, the absolute nitty-gritty for what it requires to survive. But but that's not what survival actually means because if you're really optimizing survival, you're optimize you're, you're going to be aiming for survival plus um, plus flourishing because that extra layer of flourishing actually, you know, increases the probability of survival. So uh, maybe I don't know exactly what I'm trying to say, but it's basically something to the effect that the competitive patches aren't just going to be aiming for this like basic brute survival existence. Uh, whichever patch can, can, gener- can generate like mass flourishing is actually going to be more likely to survive is I guess what I'm trying to say. And that's why I think communism comes into play. Like uh, even if like an authoritarian patch is, is the one that, you know, is the long run equilibrium, if you can have an authoritarian patch that also guarantees like a dignified quality of life for the people at the bottom, that's going to be a more successful patch than just a, a merely surviving patch. What do you think about that? Help me out here, man. I feel like um,
1: I often feel that when when people end up talking about survival in terms of patchwork, there's always this sort of undercurrent that it's even though we're talking about communities, it always it's it's got a slight like individualistic tone to it, as if to say that it's everyone's out for themselves, but we kind of we we singularize that. And it makes me think of when um, in Uri's text, uh, Skins in the Game, those on the Vast Abrupt, and he talks about, uh, I can't, I, I'm not, I'll, I'll get fried if I try and skim read through it, but he's talking about organisms, right? Um, that, like, we're, we're talking about survival, but we're not talking about sort of singular entities. We're talking about these kind of living, breathing things that are sort of permeable. Um and throughout that you have that whole system you have like you have people people will people will die people will thrive um not necessarily violently just in terms of that's how life goes like um like i always think about when Blanchot talks about the um like birth birth and death are what constitute community um not necessarily what you know what happens in between those are kind of limit experiences and those both those instances as events for communities are what bring communities together. Um so I feel like when it comes in terms of survival, if a community is going to survive, it is kind of dependent on that on what I can't not what I what I personally can't separate from communism of that kind of um relating to each other, um, a kind of quite ethical practice in a way. Um that is collective, like Mark Fisher talking about collective subjects. I kind of feel like that for me, patchwork and the the necessary changes that will have to take place, both in terms of the individual and also the state, um, I feel like it's maybe one of the best chances for that kind of collective subject to establish itself because it means that we have to change how we think about all of these things you can't talk about survival and give it that individualistic bent it's like it's what we're talking about when we say survival i don't think is the same thing as what is necessary for patchwork to succeed
0: right right i agree with that i i think that's totally right i think the the issue that you come up against though is that most people today sorry it's getting dark in here the sun is setting i i realize i'm starting to look like uh kind of creepy but uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll turn the light on in a minute but um I think the problem, one of the problems that you, you encounter here is that it's very strange because most of the people today who kind of like identify as left wing and would be interested in like helping to engineer the, the leftist like aspects of, of a patch, let's say like um, are very turned off by or would be very turned off by, by, by patchwork because the it's brutal. It's brutal. In other words, it's, it, it, the inescapable aspect of it is reality testing like you're not allowed to have ideas that don't pass a test of like functional worthiness um and there's a real problem here because you know like one of the major traits that predicts for like leftism is basically like compassion like if you're if you have if you if you feel compassion strongly like if you don't like the idea of people being subjected to like hard reality constraints that you're more likely to be a leftist, like a significant number of leftists are, are basically like, they're kind of in protest of the fact that like reality exerts difficult constraints that are painful. Um, and so there's this, there's a weird kind of confusion, I think, because when we talk about like engineering a leftist patch or a communist patch or whatever um, it's, I don't want to sound, like, nasty in saying this, but it's, it's like, um, it's very different than what people have in their minds when they think of, like, what communists, like, the people out there who, like, are the public image of communism or, like, the, the, the human beings out there today who uh, are associated with leftism. Like, a lot, I guess this is kind of nasty to say, but a lot of those people, like, wouldn't, I don't know, like, I don't know, like, how would, like, how would... Where, where did those people go with patchwork? Because what I'm getting at is like, they, like you and I, Matt, and a bunch of other people would be like, okay, let's be, let's all stick together. Let's take care of each other. Let's like be good to each other. Let's try to figure this out in a way that respects everyone's dignity and protects everyone. Um, And we would quickly find ourselves in trying to engineer that we would quickly find ourselves at loggerheads with like currently living leftists who would who would be against like the reality principle <laughs> because that, that is just like a feature of, of leftism as it exists in human populations today. Um, so like, that's an interesting question. Like, what do you do with that? Or what, or, or like, what does like technomic acceleration do to that? Just posing, just trying to pose interesting questions. Yeah. Can think about it. I'm going to, I'm going to try to get some light in here.
1: <laughs> I think,
0: I don't want to say too much about it because
1: I haven't read it yet. But there's, um, I mean, part of this, I think, is, especially in terms of talking about suffering um, and, yeah, reality testing. um, I think about um, Fred Moten's got a new book coming out. Um, I don't know if it's a series or something, but I think it's called Consenting to Not... Consenting to Be a Collective Being or something like that. Um, And this is kind of the interest and influence that I took from um, being on a course with Kojo Eschen last year and Kojo uh, talking about Fred Moten stuff Um, and I see a lot of relationship there between what Moten talks about and what Blanchard talks about but the the specificity of Moten talking about blackness and black experience I think is kind of a prime example of a way that Patchwork can can aid other kinds of communities in that way. I mean, I'm, I'm trying to think how to connect this to what we're talking about. Someone was saying in the chat about, um, uh, Tech O'Kane's talking about, by survival, I mean in relation to other patches, not just the individuals. But I guess that's kind of what I mean, is that like, like if you have that kind of social relation we have now, like Black Lives Matter or Blue Lives Matter, you have two groups that have been opposed to each other that are both looking to be heard, and the survival then is not it is not necessarily just about it's about it's about collective survival, right? Um, and it's like you could say you had a black patch and you had a blue patch. To talk about those individual patches, that's not patchwork. Patchwork isn't patchwork is kind of a is surely is about the the relationship between the whole right it's kind of a different in talking about individual survival i kind of also mean the in, the survival of an individual patch that you can't if 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 it's not if it's not a multiple if if there isn't that multiplicity then it's not patchwork hmm. Then it's just something else patchwork is dependent as a system is dependent on multiplicity so then nomads talking about the Imperial takeover, what was about a patch whose to finish the success is the imperial takeover of the entire patchwork, then it's no longer patchwork
0: right, but that could be an outcome I mean I think Oh the, yeah sure the outcome is op- is an open empirical question right yeah um yeah,
1: but I feel like that's that's a failure of the system as a whole, and that's a possibility, but it, I don't think that that's like that's not the system right that's that's kind of that's that is the destruction of the system as it's kind of defines itself. So you could say that that's, a, that's the success of an individual patch, but it's the failure of patchwork. And I feel like that's the, that's the kind of key for me is that, and what I feel like is relevant to the left is that it is dependent on this sense of collectivity and multiplicity that the left is often talked about in terms of, especially like D and G stuff. Um, I'm not going to say the R word, but, um, but it's all in there. Right. And it's kind of that it's a system that depends on that. And without those things, if, if those things fail, then the systems failed. And it's no longer that system.
0: Well, you know, it's interesting that you cited, um, Moten because I don't know his work at all, really other. I mean, I know a little bit about in secondhand, but, um, don't know his work well at all, but it's interesting that you would, you would mention, uh, race theorists because it's, it's sort of, someone said in the, uh, in the comments that, uh, like the NRX answer to like how patches sustain themselves um you know in terms of like cohesion and solidarity is this idea of I'm not sure how you pronounce that but asabia 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 I don't know how you say it but uh you know like religion ethnicity civilization these like kind of reactionary this like reactionary idea of um like cohesion through uh, yeah, like racial similarity or or whatever it might be, like that's one of the reasons why like radical right wing people are like the white nationalist types of people are really into white nationalism and and like rate like race consciousness is because they see it as like a a a really like necessary uh force for like cohesion and solidarity and also sympathy and compassion and and just like energy like like w- you know shared will to live and to fight on um and i I mean i have zero interest in in like race for that reason i'm i have like zero interest in like white nationalism or anything like that like i i'm I'm like anti-racist to the bone and i've never even like dabbled in like white nationalist ideas or whatever that part of like right-wing thinking has always just been anathema to me um but what's interesting though is like as leftists or as left-leaning people i don't want to like describe you in any way you don't want but um i still like more or less see myself as more or less a leftist, I guess. Um, And as, insofar as that's the case, like, it's very kind of interesting to that, like, um, for us to draw on, uh, like, black theorists, and especially, like, very, like, race-conscious black theorists, um, who, who, from their own experience, you know, uh, have very powerful narratives about, like, how race is really significant and a really important part of consciousness. And, an essential ingredient in like social movement building and things like this. Um, and I, I mean, I would never object to that. I would never, you know, uh, want to stop them from saying that or, or, or take that away from them or even push back at all uh, because I'm sympathetic to that for sure. Um, but it does, it does raise some interesting questions because if the white nationalists say like race consciousness is, is like so important for, you know, like building the communities that will like survive into the future but we say no to that and that's nasty and we don't like that. Um, but then like on the left, like minority races are also championing, championing like race consciousness as like essential and necessary and, and good. Um, you know, it does, do you see what, do you see like the, it, it's rather strange, like what, um, what do you, what does one do with that? Like, especially as like, you know, not, not to make this like, not to turn this into like an identity politics, like, best or something but like as like white men you know like what do you do with that um like i guess maybe a more constructive way to put the question is like um if you reject like race consciousness as a white person as like a positive value um then like how do i put this uh uh one does one should have an alternative model of sources of group cohesion And I don't know if, I like, I don't know if that, I don't know if, like, much progress is being made on that or if many people are, are thinking about that. Like, other than, I mean, I guess, yeah, I don't know. How do you mean group cohesion? Can you expand on that bit? Well, yeah, just the, the simple, you know, like, what we're talking about with, like, uh, solidarity or, uh, like, shared, like, I mean, for any human beings to live, really, uh, one needs to have, like, some sense of of mission and some sense of meaning and some sense of like connectedness to like other people in a community yeah Um, and it and it is kind of fascinating and, and troubling if you think about how like white nationalists say that should be race and many leftists like like especially like uh black and other like minority um thinkers and activists on the left are also like pretty comfortable with saying that like race plays a, a significant similar role in their model. You know what I mean? Um, and so it's like, as an anti race, if you're anti-racist white person, you know, like what is, what, what, what is like the, the like motive, what should be the ideal kind of like uh, mode motor force or like solidaristic cohesive uh, force. Is it just like solidarity with oppressed Minorities, or is it like, or does one insist that like, uh, race actually doesn't matter that much? Which is what I think, like, educated progressive white people generally say is that like they don't, you know, race consciousness for white people is just gross and and like I don't need that. I mean, it makes me think of the the um, I think it's Jean Luc
1: Nancy in reply to uh Blanchot, he defines communism. Um, what does he say? Trying to remember the quote. He says, "Communism is a. It's a. uh, Communism gives itself as a goal. It's not like a. It's in his view, it's not a utopian system. It's something that it's like a mindset that is based on a kind of ideal, or not an ideal, like a like an interrelation. That is that is the premise." And it always um, – again, I kind of – I am also aware of the fact that we are two white guys talking about this. But uh, it's it's kind of been in my periphery a lot, and I kind of don't want to ignore it for the sake of whiteness. Like, I kind of find it really interesting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I had a friend on the course last year, and she wrote an essay that was about um, – her dissertation was on the Harlem Renaissance. Um, uh, I can't remember who was part of that crowd now, but it was like a – Sort of radical black tradition came out of Harlem, maybe um, and there was a lot of people that were part of that group that were thinking about black experience um, philosophy from philosophy of black experience um and they were kind of put on CIA watch lists or whatever and just kind of penalized for being black and politically minded um and her essay was about the fact that Russia actually offered members of this community um, asylum. They, like, offered some of them scholarships to go and study universities there. Um, just sympathising with the fact that um, they were kind of anti-capitalist, anti-this American imperialism, anti-the West or whatever, in that sort of way. And regardless of the fact of that they were sort of the descendants of slaves, <laughs> African-Americans, um, they kind of welcomed them this, not disregarding race, but sort of um, kind of enacting that, right? Of, of giving, having a, a, recognizing that they both share this idea of a community as a goal. Right. And I feel like that's something that is, it's kind of, it's common to communism and I think it's common. I mean, yeah, I, th- I yeah, okay. I think that's common to, Black experience as I've read about it. Um, there's there are sort of crossovers there that I feel like they're really important to consider, especially considering the rep that patchwork has got as a system.
0: Right, right. Yeah, no, that's interesting. That's a good lead. Um I'm conscious that we've been talking for like uh, I think we've done an hour now. So uh I don't know if you're running out of steam yet or I, I, kind of, to be honest, I'm kind of running out of steam. Like I noticed my thoughts are kind of starting to like trail off at the end because it's now been an hour and a half for me. So, yeah, sure. Uh, I'm not in any rush to get off though. Um, just noting that my, 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 uh, brain glucose might be depleting. Um, what are your plans for the rest of the summer? Um, I have none. I, I just working. My life when I'm is just
1: working at the moment. Um, the blog's taken a hit as a result. I'm kind of working full time now and yeah that is my summer where do you work um oh to to dox myself that much uh um, well no I kind of said this on Twitter before I work in exhibitions I do photography exhibitions like admin stuff that was my background of my bachelor's degree and that's what I've ended up doing here and I'm desperately trying to get out of it um exhibitions like museum or what yeah, museum stuff or gallery stuff, or um, just doing yeah, general admin. Whether that's curation or doing displays, things like that.
0: Okay, so you're but you don't like it. You're trying to get out of it.
1: Yeah, photographers are assholes. Um, I don't know why I ever wanted to study photography. Or so are like you
0: that. are you like de- are you deep
1: in like London art scene? no 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 not at all no um i work at one place it's kind of like uh yeah i work at one place that's not even in the art scene it's kind of more like um film industry they just have a space where they put on exhibitions and i help out doing that sort of stuff so yeah we're planning for we i uh, was doing that after i finished goldsmiths last year we had an exhibition open in january and i'm working on a new one now for next january so yeah my summer is Getting that in order, and some other things on the side too. But Ed, I can't talk about those.
0: Ed says he wants you to start blogging again.
1: I know. I really need to. I, I've got like, yeah. I'm trying to. I'm trying to segue things into like a book or something. I also promised that after being inspired by all the fun that you've had these past couple of weeks, uh, I promised that I'd do like a podcast radio show. Oh yeah. Um, I started that. It's it's a, uh, it's it was like halfway done and then i was just rambling like i've been doing tonight and i thought i need to strip this so now i'm writing a script for mm. yeah no matter yeah. i'm doing a a scripted Xenogoth disco oh and interesting.
0: soon so where is that going to be what's the what's like the infrastructure where is it hosted or what how are you doing that it's probably going to be a mixed cloud thing i think um okay.
1: it's, yeah it's going to be about being a goth and disco
0: and dub Interesting. So it, it's going to be music mostly or talk too or combination? Or yeah, what? no,
1: yeah. I think like talking, I, I kind of wanted to talk about music more. Um, uh, yeah, I'm still fleshing it out. But I feel like being able to talk about music and play music and just, yeah, like a radio show. I don't know. Just play some tunes and then talk about them and get theoretical about disco and
0: shit <laughs> interesting that's really interesting well you're getting a lot of love in the chat for that
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's... i'm really surprised that people are up for that idea so that but it's just part of the pressure on so it's gonna i'm gonna i'm taking my time with it i want it to be good
0: yeah sure no that's cool i'm glad you mentioned it i'm glad you got a plug-in at the end and that's what cool people a are
1: plug-in. thank you for that
0: <laughs> yeah no no it's cool i mean I, I i would love for like th- this little youtube thing i'm doing like uh on one of the things i feel like i'm most interested in is just to know what people are working on and you know I like the, I like the heavy duty uh, intellectual exchange, but I also just like shooting the breeze and kind of like learning about what, what you have on, what people have on their agendas and like what people's goals and projects and hopes are. And like, yeah, you know, like for people to be able to share that with other people also, and like for us to mix our networks, you know, like, I think that's, that's really, I like that idea. So that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that. So um, will it be like a set number of hours each week at a certain schedule or like what, how <laughs>
1: I don't even know if I could handle it each week sort of thing. Um, yeah. Uh, well, the idea for the first one was it was just going to be me, and then I'd quite like to talk about other people. I've um, talked to other people. Uh, maybe just do some like event stuff. I don't know. It's yeah, it's a it's a, like a half baked idea that is starting to run away with itself. So we'll just see how it goes.
0: Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. No, the reason I ask is because like as I've I've just been dabbling in in all these like different platforms with no real, like, plan or or agenda. I just, like, play around, like, a let's see what Google Hangouts on Air is like. And I'm just very intrigued by all the different options we have nowadays for, like, just firing up a computer and talking shit or writing something and whatever it might be. So I've been, like, as I'm sure you've noticed, I'm, I've been on quite a spree of just, like, playing with different platforms, really. Um, but I've gone into all of it with very little kind of calculation. Um, but now that I'm, like, doing it and you know, it's like, I'm definitely connecting with a, like a certain part of myself that that feels like quite, quite like good, you know, it's like, I feel like, I don't really, I still don't really have like a vision for like, you know, like this, like this YouTube hangout thing I've been doing and a some I'm starting to do it in a semi structured way. Um, It feels good. And like, it feels worth really worth doing. And, and it's intrinsically rewarding. And it also like people seem to be in like, at least some people are into it. And it's like, kind of growing a little bit. So now I'm kind of like, thinking about yeah like okay I've experimented with all these platforms like what really am I trying to do like what am I trying to put together and how should I how should I like make it work you know steadily and most effectively uh so that's why I'm like very intrigued to hear from other people about like yeah just mundane things like how often will you do it uh how many times a week or every week or every month or what because that's what I'm trying to figure out like right now with this for instance like um, I know with like streaming and these types of YouTube things, like a lot everyone says that like if you really want to do it well and and like grow an audience, you ha- the key is like consistency. You know, so if you can do it like at a certain time every week, uh, like you know twice a week or three times a week, or ideally if you can do it every day, then that works really well and people can get way more into that than if you do it irregularly. Um, but then I'm like, how much fucking time and energy can I give it to like? <laughs> Like that, you know, like, like how much, you know, that's why I have to like make these like reflections and decisions about like, what am I doing with all of this? Like, how serious am I trying to get with it? You know, so I, I don't have answers to these questions, but these are things I'm thinking about right now.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's 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 crazy because there's such a. What I kind of love about this whole. It feels like there's a new bloggers going on. You're doing the YouTube stuff. I feel like it's it, it kind of really highlights just how many interesting people are kind of involved in this shit and doing their own thing. But it's, it is difficult to sustain that, for sure. I definitely agree with you about consistency. And that was kind of my drive for blogging so much in the beginning about, well, like, when did I start, like, late last year? And, yeah, burnout is the worst and it's a a real demon that kind of, I think haunts everybody trying to do this sort of thing. It's always lurking in the background somewhere.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. For sure. Um, So I'm thinking about maybe doing like doing this thing I've been doing, like what I'm doing with you, where I kind of, for the, for for like 30 minutes, I just kind of talk about whatever I want to talk about for the fun of it. And then have a guest join me. Um, I'm thinking about doing this as like a kind of like recurring show type of thing. Like, I don't know how serious I'll get into it, but it's been fun enough and and easy enough, you know, and worthwhile. And it feels worthwhile enough maybe to do, to commit to doing, uh, like I'm thinking maybe do it like twice a week, um, at like set times. So who knows, like maybe if people are into it, they'll actually like kind of tune, they'll like put it on their schedule if they want to, you know, and maybe tune in, uh, or at least I'm giving them the opportunity to do that instead of currently doing it like so irregularly, um, so, yeah, that might be the next level of, like, experimenting with more structure and commitment, like, maybe committing to doing, like, two nights a week, specific nights, specific times. Uh, so I might do that, but I haven't even, like, I haven't decided, like, when would be the best time to do it, like, when when's good for people's availability and stuff like that. But that might be the next step. Sounds awesome.
1: You should uh, you should uh, continue
0: your um, Bronze
1: Age pervert investigations, too. Like a, do, like, a serial type thing. <laughs>
0: Well, thanks for saying that. I appreciate that. But, you know, I, it's very strange. I have mixed emotions about that because a lot of people, like, a lot of people watch that stuff and a lot of people liked it. Like, I got a lot, a lot of people have said, keep going with that. Keep going with that. But, I mean, once I got done, once I did, like, two, I was like, this is so ridiculous. Like, I don't want to say this. <laughs> uh, so, the, when I made the third one, it was kind of, like, basically, I was like, I just want to get this fucking over with, sort of, um, because I, I like... I didn't realize how deep I, I didn't, I didn't realize what I was getting myself into. Um, Cause it was super, they were super time consuming to make. Uh, it was cool. that a lot of people l- want like watch them, but um, I don't want to like spend like too much of my life making like videos like that. But I don't know, maybe I, I think I might experiment more with like that conspiracy theory, like uh, comedy thriller format. Great. <laughs> fun. People like it. I mean, it's strange when you're like when you want to you want to think of yourself as like a, a fancy like highly educated intellectual. <laughs> um, and you, you you write like a lot of highfalutin blog posts and you write scholarly journal articles and you try to do all this like really serious high level stuff to impress people and make them think you're really serious and mature and cool and no one really cares about much. Uh, but then like you make a conspiracy theory like thriller series and mad, <laughs> and mad people watch it and mad people really get excited about it. And they're like badgering you to make more. It's very strange. It makes me it makes me question my life decisions.
1: <laughs> well, it's 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 the but it makes you it makes you seem really approachable. I think, and it makes you uh, sort of I don't know. It, it it feels like a good basis for some sort of patch down the line. Uh, kind of rallying together uh, this strange mix of people from around the world low in- with low integration, higher connectivity. That is the, uh, that is your YouTube channel. It's great.
0: <laughs> yeah. Thank you. No, that's exactly, we're on the same vibe. I think that's exactly like kind of what I'm, that's what I'm trying to experiment with and trying to build, build out a bit. Um, yeah. So that's cool that you see that. I appreciate that, man. Um, well, thanks for chatting with me and thanks for, uh, you know, sharing all your thoughts and I hope you make progress on that book. I, I definitely support you in that. I think you should definitely turn all your stuff into a book and, uh, push forward on that. You know, there's just something about a book that people, people will read books when they won't read your blog posts, you know? So, sure.
1: Well, appreciate that. Yeah. I just need to find the time to do it. Maybe go and lock myself away somewhere during the summer if I get chance, but
0: yeah, we'll see. Well, I definitely think you should. I definitely think you can. And I think, uh, when you get around to doing that, you'll definitely have uh, a valuable and proper book. That's, uh, you know, more than, more than worthwhile reading. So yeah, I think I, I definitely support that and encourage you to do that. And, uh, the the radio thing sounds cool too and uh everyone else seems pretty keen on it so that's that's exciting i think yeah it's awesome yeah no thank you for that and yeah good a uh, good turnout My yeah no like this yeah this is, totally this is good um and w- when you make any progress on those things definitely like shoot me a link or whatever or keep me posted uh i'll share that stuff or actually i'm mean, even better uh when you finally get your book out come back on the on the youtube and we'll talk about that <laughs> yeah uh, awesome or like when your radio project is up and running, we can do some sort of collab on that. Yeah, yeah, it's your turn to come and join me next. That'll yeah, for sure, it. I'd be ha- happy to, of course. Um, good to get to know you a little bit better, man. And yeah, uh, thanks for entertaining me on the for humoring my uh, strange little star- YouTube startup project. Yeah, cheers! It's been right, great, all right, man. Talk to you later. See you later. Later. Hey everybody, thanks for listening. If you thought that was cool, then don't forget to subscribe, and it would be even cooler if you left a review. I'd appreciate that. And yeah, just to learn more about what I'm up to, you can check out theotherlifenow.com. That's all. And I will see you around the internet.